So we have been uh, looking at the interruptions and unexpected moments in Jesus' ministry and the way that that affects us and applies to our life and the things that we can learn there. Uh, Because Jesus' reaction to people and and the disruptions that happen all around him, uh, it's something that can help us recognize the sovereignty of God as we're talking about God's sovereignty in our lives is really the deep down premise of what we've been looking at the last few weeks. Uh, Because sovereignty really means um, ultimate authority or supreme power. And we know that God has that. But that also means that for the interruptions in our life, that those aren't really interruptions to God, that God's never interrupted. They're they're divine appointments because he's never surprised. He always has time. And these kinds of things happen all the time. We can learn from them. We can learn from these accidents. We can learn from these interruptions for his glory. We can find his grace and his truth in these moments. You know, we live in a culture that is, uh, that is really focused in many ways on productivity and, um, and we're obsessed with it, right? The work hard, play hard mentality. Uh, but please keep the play portion of your life uh, limited to just weekends and two weeks of vacation every year if you can afford it. Um, that is kind of the world that we're in, right? But that might work during certain seasons of your life, but that's really not the reality in a lot of ways. Our reality are these interruptions in our life that are sprinkled throughout these inconveniences, these unexpected struggles, these challenges that come with living a life in God's kingdom. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day, what one calls one's real life, is a phantom of one's own imagination. This is at least what I see at moments of insight, but it's hard to remember it all the time. C.S. Lewis even says it's hard to remember it all the time. And and he's totally right because when we're in the thick of it, when we are knocking out our to-do list, it can be a struggle to embrace the interruptions that end up uh, being the pieces of our real life because that's kind of what he's getting at here is that the interruptions that happen on a day-by-day basis and a moment-by-moment basis really end up being the basis of what is our real life. And those moments when God steps in and turns those interruptions into blessings with a purpose. That's hard to remember at times. It's hard to remember in the moment. It's hard to remember when your car breaks down on the way to a timely appointment that you need to get to and you've got a flat and you're like, okay, this is a divine interruption from God. Thank you, Jesus, that this is happening right now, right? We're not not thinking that in the moment. Uh, When you run into that person at the store that really needs to talk and they're really good at talking and you don't have time to have that conversation right then and there because maybe you've got something else that that you've got to get to and and you're not really thinking through the this might just be a divine interruption that's going to make me late to what I'm going to right now. When you finally have an evening off with nothing to do and then you get that phone call. I know that that's very much the truth for us and our family. It's, um, you know, we, we were even saying this, Val and I, uh, a couple of nights ago, we actually had nothing to do in one evening. And we were like, are we sure? 
Like it was like three or four straight weeks of like we had something every single night and we actually had a night where we really didn't have anything going on and I'm like, okay, what's wrong? There's, got, there, there's something we're missing. We, there's something not on the calendar. Like what, what did we miss? Like we, we literally had that conversation for five or six minutes. And, you know, and then we're like, okay, well, I'm sure a phone call's coming of something that we missed. And it was weird. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in the, in the book of Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to be looking uh, at how Jesus was interrupted uh, so often that we're actually not going to get to all of them. That's really the truth here. We're going to be looking at, at Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at really just the second half and you're going to see rapid fire stories of people continually coming in contact with Jesus and interrupting him that actually goes back to chapter 8. So if you really want some additional reading homework to do, if you will, go back to chapter 8 and start reading there and you'll see it's just boom, 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 boom. It's nonstop. It's nonstop for him. And so this story that we're going to look at, there's a couple of stories here that if, if, uh, if you've read a lot of the gospel accounts and such, you're probably going to be familiar with a couple of these stories. And if not, these are going to be very interesting to you to see. Um, so Jesus is interrupted here in this story we're going to pick up by a highly esteemed ruler from the synagogue. And in the book of Mark, where this story is also told, um, we find out that his name is uh, Jairus. And he kneels before Jesus and asks him for his help because his daughter has died. His daughter has died, but he believes that with Jesus' help that she will live. That's what he says, that she will live. But I want you to watch what happens in the middle of this interruption, okay? We're going to be starting in verse 18 in Matthew chapter 9. So while he was saying this, meaning he was already like speaking, he was teaching, right here in this moment. He gets interrupted. A synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus got up and he went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she says to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And news of this spread through all that region. So, if I'm keeping this straight, we've got two interruptions and two miracles within the midst of all of that, at least in this section here. And so Jesus responds to Jairus who interrupts him, right? He's teaching, Jairus interrupts him, and he says, you know, my daughter is dead, I need your help. And he gets up and goes. And so he goes with him to his home, but on his way to his home, Jesus is interrupted again, and this time by a suffering woman. And she's considered unclean due to her, uh, her bleeding condition um, and doesn't want to make a scene here. She doesn't want to make a scene, but she has so much faith. She has so much faith in the power of Jesus. And she's been so marginalized. She's been so marginalized by the world around her and her plan was to just touch his clothing covertly. That's all she needed to do. 
She just wanted to sneak in and, and, and touch his robe. She didn't want to make a scene. She didn't want to be a bother. She didn't want to be an interruption. But then Jesus makes sure that everyone there knows what she has done and that her faith is what ushered in her healing. And I want you to keep that phrase in your mind as we're going through this. And then he continues on to Jairus' house. If you notice, like, how quickly this moves, he, he heals her, explains some things to the crowd, and then he's like, okay, well, I, I, I was actually in the middle of doing something else. And so he goes, and he goes to Jairus' house, raises his daughter to life. And in Mark, though, it says that he gave strict orders to not, for them to not tell anyone what had happened, to not tell anyone what had happened. And there are some reasons for that in that particular moment, but I'm going to get to that here in just a second. I want you to see a big principle, though, for all of us to learn, and it is this, that faith and restoration are for everyone. They are for everyone. Jairus had 12 years with his daughter, 12 years with his daughter who he loved, and she died. And the woman had 12 years of agony that seemed hopeless to heal, other than all of her hope was in the power of Jesus in that moment. Jairus was a very important man, a ruler in the synagogue. This woman, she was a nobody, and we don't even know her name. Even in both accounts, we don't find out her name. And Jesus responds to the respected religious man and the unclean woman with no social standing. It doesn't matter who they are in, in their social status to Jesus because all are important to him. All are important to him. See, Jairus came to Jesus publicly. This woman comes to Jesus secretly, covertly. Jairus thought that Jesus needed to do a lot to heal his daughter. He knew that this was a a big ask in the moment. But the woman thought all she needed to do was touch, touch his garment. That's how big her faith was. And in all of this, we see how the work of Jesus is different, yet the same, among each individual that he touches. Because if Jesus can touch each need so personally in these stories, he can touch our needs the same way. He can touch our needs the same way. Our our core values actually relate a lot to this idea. All people matter to God and therefore matter to us. And we could go through a few of the other ones and you will see how those core values are actually wrapped into here. Because faith isn't just for those who are, are good enough. And restoration isn't based on what you've done or who you are or what you've not done. Right? The truth of all of that though That makes this next section a little harder to understand when you just read it in a quick snapshot. And so we're going to parse it a little here for a second. So let's go on to verse 27. It says, as Jesus went on from there, right? So he just, he's moving on from there. Two blind men follow him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. So here he's interrupted again. Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. 
And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So the Pharisees were not happy here. So let's, let's go back and, and I want you to kind of see a few things here. Two blind men approach Jesus coming right out of these, uh, these previous miracles. Jesus is, is heading off and two blind men approach him and they're calling out for mercy. And if you go back and read it slowly, it really seems like Jesus is attempting to ignore them. It seems like he's, he's ignoring them because it says they follow him all the way into the house that he was traveling to, which is pretty bold. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he just ignore them and keep walking and, and make them keep following him and make them keep following him and finally go into the house before he even acknowledges what's going on? Well, Jesus knew their heart. And I believe that's a big part of this. So I have to believe that that had a lot to do with how he handled their situation. Because as I said, and as we've seen, he handles each situation personally and individually. And also notice of all the stories here, of all the miracles here, these guys are the only ones who attempt to flatter Jesus. Son of David, they say. They make this messianic statement. Everybody knew what that meant, especially in the Jewish community. They knew what that meant. Also, can we just call out here for a second something that's like an obvious thing? It says they're blind. And they followed him all the way to this how? how? I mean, let's just, they're blind. I mean, maybe somebody was leading them. I don't know. It doesn't say that. But they followed him all the way to this house and then went inside. And they're blind. So, maybe these guys were just looking for an opportunity. Maybe these guys were looking for an opportunity to raise their social status. Maybe they knew that they would be somebody if they were being healed by Jesus and could say that they were healed by Jesus. And he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Now, I'm not saying these guys weren't really blind and they were conning Jesus or something along those lines. There may be an aspect to, to some of those things, but I want you to understand something here. Jesus responds according to your faith. And Jesus' response to them was according to their faith. And Jesus' response to you and to me is according to our faith. For Jairus and the bleeding woman and the two blind beggars, all Jesus asked them was the condition of their faith, and he responded accordingly. And Jesus deals with us accordingly, according to our faith, not according to our profession, not according to our social status, but according to our faith. And regardless, he heals the men, he heals them both, and then he gives them one condition. And it says he said this to them sternly, don't tell anyone. He commands them, do not tell anyone. And the very next sentence, it says that they quickly ignored that and told everybody. Granted, I'll give them this. They could see now. So, I, could you keep that a secret? I'm sure a lot of people in your life, if you were blind, like knew that you were blind, you couldn't walk up and just be like, yeah, I had something in my eye. You know what I mean? Like, you had, they had to, I couldn't keep that to myself. 
How amazing is it though that if their blindness cured, the first thing they see is Jesus. Boy, I don't know if I could keep that to myself completely, but he did command them to do that. So again, I don't know how you keep that a secret until they didn't. But why did Jesus demand that they keep it a secret? He knew what they were going to do. Why would he demand to keep it a secret? Now remember, he did demand for, uh, for Jairus' daughter being raised. He demanded that be kept a secret. And without getting too deep into the weeds on that, I'll tell you why really, really quickly. And it's because um, of, of the difference in doing a miracle of curing someone's blindness versus a miracle of raising someone from the dead. That is a bigger deal in that time and in, that, uh, in the scope of all, of all those things. And Jesus was basically like, I'm not... I'm not ready to go to the cross yet, so I'm not ready for that one to, to be like, no, I've still got more things to do. So we're going to keep that one on the DL. But there were plenty of other people that he healed of blindness and all, the, all other kinds of things that maybe would fall in that category a little bit. But for these guys, he said, don't tell anybody, keep it to yourself. Why? I think it's because he didn't want to play the honor game with them. He refused to do that. They disobeyed Jesus I think a good, a good explanation is that they wanted to take advantage of the situation. The same motivation that compelled them to flatter Jesus in the first place. Son of David. Maybe that was their perspective going into it the whole time. Jesus goes on to, to free a, a demon-possessed man and then to be accused by the Pharisees of being evil himself for doing that. But I want you to see something here. In all of these things... Jesus remained true to his purpose. He remained true to his purpose even when people attempted to take advantage of him. And despite the risk of even being misunderstood himself, he stayed true to his purpose and to his calling. And that is a principle that we need to to also learn from. And we need to stay true to who God is calling us to be and to the truth of his word despite the risk of maybe even being understood, misunderstood. Because uh, interruption after interruption after interruption, and Jesus responds to each of them individually, and he responds to each of them personally according to their faith, and that's how he responds to us as well. And that statement right there is a little bit of an internal look at ourselves for just a minute and examine ourselves moment. If Jesus is responding to me according to my faith, Where is that? Where is my faith? Let's keep reading. Verse 35. Since Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You may have heard that verse before, but maybe not in the full context of everything that happened leading up to Jesus saying that, because here's what that verse is. That is Jesus' response to all of the interruptions. All of the interruptions that had happened to him that were all ministry opportunities, his response is, the kingdom needs more workers in the field. The kingdom needs more workers in the field. 
While God is omnipresent, which means everywhere all at once, we are not. You are not. Humans are not. Jesus, he was 100% God and 100% man. And that's hard to get your head around. But in that moment, he was in a sense, here's what he was saying, in in a sense. Here and now, humanly, because he was leaning into his humanity in, in, in this moment. Humanly, I can't be everywhere all at once. And that's not the plan anyway. That's not the intent. Because I want each individual to receive a response from God individually and personally. And I am implementing the church to be a part of that. That's what he's saying. The people's spiritual needs... They were even more desperate than their need for physical healing. Meaning that meeting that need is going to require more laborers. That's what he's meaning here. We need more people to do this. And we see the lessons of faith that he teaches here in these interruptions also become a commissioning of purpose for each and every one of us. Because that's where he lands on it at the end. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. Does God ask us to help others even if we don't agree with them or if we are unsure of their motives? Does God ask us to help others even if we don't agree with them or if we are unsure of their motives? Now, of course, we all know the right answer here. Yes, of course. But can we be honest with ourselves here for a minute? Because we'll sit here in church Yes, absolutely. This, this is the truth. But the moment comes, the interruption comes, it's from the person you don't want at the time you don't want, and you don't even necessarily agree with who they are or what they're doing or any of those kinds of things, and you're like, yeah, but... You know? <laughs> Obviously, it's a rhetorical question, and we know the right answer, but are we willing to be interrupted enough Right To look into someone's pain and walk with them through it? Are we willing to support hurting people even if they don't align with our religious or political beliefs entirely in that moment? Because if Jesus had no prerequisite for people to come to him other than their faith, hear me, why should we? Hmm, that's tough to hear. Jesus simply had compassion. He simply had compassion. Now, it doesn't mean we push doctrine aside. It doesn't mean we we step away from those things. But good grief, church, we're called to speak the truth in love. And there's a way to step into that in somebody's life. Jesus simply had compassion. Concern for the suffering and the misfortune of others is what compassion is. And so let me give you an opportunity to actually step into something with compassion and an opportunity to, to, to be a part of something and an opportunity to maybe have a couple of hours of the end of May interrupted in your life for the benefit of others. There's an opportunity we have uh, to be a part of a, an organization called Feed My Starving Children. We did this last year. We were part of this uh, last year. Uh, Grace Church in Bath is the host, and many other churches are coming alongside this as well. But here's an opportunity for you to be a part of an army of volunteers that are going to hand pack meals that are specifically formulated 
like scientifically formulated for malnourished children, all for the glory of God. And Feed My Starving Children, they, they send these, these meals that, that we get the chance to pack and be a part of. They send them to, uh, to orphanages, to, to partners all around the world, to schools, to clinics, uh, to feeding programs all around the world. Missionaries are, are part of this. It's an awesome, awesome opportunity. And yeah, I get it. It's an interruption to your evening. I understand. I do. But I'm telling you what, you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving others. You're never more like Jesus than when you're serving others. And when we come alongside each other and we be the church and we put our logos aside and we just love people and we step into something, into an opportunity that God's putting right in front of you. Last year we had um, maybe 60 or 70 people show up to be a part of that. And that's, and, and that's an incredible thing. And if you were part of it last year, you know it was awesome. It was fun for sure. But it's also motivating. And it's also a way that God will maybe show you something that he can't show you any other way other than serving. That's why missions trips and things like that are so important. We've got our students going to Memphis. We've got a team going to Guatemala. And, and God is going to show us some things during those trips that he can't show any other way. Because we won't listen any other way. And this is an opportunity for all of us to be, maybe be a part of something that's a little bit in the mission Akron vein that all of us can be a part of. So there's three opportunities that I have us signed up for, but you know what I would love? I would love for all of those to get full and be filled up, and I have to figure it out and figure out a fourth time. So we've got three times uh, uh, from May 30th, June 1st, and June 2nd. So that's Tuesday, Thursday, Friday that week. They're all in the evening all for just a couple of hours that you can come and help us pack meals. And it's a Grace Church and Bath uh, in Fairlawn uh, is actually the one that's uh, right outside of Summit Mall there is where that is. So I hope that you'll pray about that. Consider that. All ages can come, by the way. Um, Wilson, my, he was nine last year. He came and helped pack some meals. So, I mean, obviously, if you got like a, you know, if you dedicated your baby last week, and then I don't think they can help pack a meal. But you get what I'm saying. Here's the thing. Jesus used that compassion, the compassion that he showed, to help grow other people's faith and to just love people. And he never healed someone just for healing's sake. He didn't do it just because. Because if he did, then that interruption would have been exactly that. It would have just been an interruption. There was always more to it. There was always more to it than just meeting a physical need. He was meeting a spiritual need according to their faith. So can I open your eyes to, to a very real truth in our world today that you know? You know this. Because many of you fall into this category. It's this. People are hurting. People are hurting. A lot of us in here. A lot of us watching online. People are hurting. And like Jesus, we are surrounded by hurting people. Now we're unlikely to have been sent, you know, out to perform miracle after miracle. The disciples were and Obviously, Jesus did. Thankfully, that isn't the expectation that most people have of us anyway. Unfortunately, in our world today, the expectation for the church is actually we're, we're starting behind the eight ball anyway because there's this judgmental, awful attitude that, that comes along with it. So we've got a little bit of an uphill battle anyway. But you know, it's something as simple as empathy. Something as simple as, as kindness and, and reasonable care for someone 
a listening ear can go such a long way. Can go such a long way if we're willing to let our lives be interrupted for just a little bit. Something as simple as helping someone in need at an inconvenient time could be exactly the miracle of God that they truly need. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by preoccupied with our more important tasks. As believers, we cannot, we cannot follow Jesus' example and be unwilling to respond to the interruptions of those who reach out for help. Even when it's inconvenient to our schedules or even at times to our ideals. We have to allow for margin. We have to allow for margin for connection and for care for one another and for ourselves. So the connection point. The connection point for the day is that an interruption to you could be Jesus' hand of compassion for someone else. An interruption to you could be, could be Jesus' hand of compassion for someone else. Jesus is interrupted by people all the time that cross social and religious hierarchies all the time. And he makes time for the hurting and he responds to their faith. And are we willing to say as followers of Jesus that we're willing to be interrupted as well? Will you bow your heads with me? As followers of Jesus, if we are living a life that is submitted to Jesus and everything that comes along with that statement, that means that, that seeing God's plans as infinitely more important than our own, that's what that means. Jesus focuses on, on the people and we would do well as followers of him to put people, especially the people who are hurting before our project or before our productivity in our own lives. I have no doubt that some of us here are hurting. So I want you to know that there's a church family here that, that we're going to do our best to come alongside. We're not going to get it right every time because we're all flawed individuals as well. But if we're willing to be interrupted for just a few minutes and have some compassion, show somebody some love, you'd be amazed what Jesus can do with just a little bit of time. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you don't feel like you're good enough to approach the throne of grace, let me tell you, none of us are. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for you and for me because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. So Jesus had compassion and love for you and he sacrificed himself and he rose again on the third day so that anyone and everyone could have a relationship with him. And all he's asking is, do you believe? 
the condition of your faith. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you so much that you want to use us. God, I thank you that we get to be a part of being your hands and feet for the world around us. But Lord, help us to not get so preoccupied with our schedules and our productivity and the things that we got to get done. Lord, that we don't even have room for you. God, there's opportunities that drop in our lap where we get the chance to be your representative and to be your hands and feet in, in moments where we might be the only Jesus someone ever gets to see. Help us to not push those opportunities aside. Help us, Lord, to, to see them exactly as they are, as divine interruptions and divine appointments in our life. Because we're the church and we are all essential workers as we go out into this world that is hurting. Help us to be a, a voice of love and empathy and compassion, but also standing on the truth of your word. I pray that if there's one here, one watching online that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that today might be the day that they get that settled. They maybe get some questions answered. So Holy Spirit, I pray you'd continue to move even now. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.